Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Berean Post devotional podcast where you're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 9 through uh, 13. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the text as is my custom. Paul begins by saying, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or, or a drunkard or an extortioner not even to eat with such a person, for what what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. Like our previous discussion in this passage, uh, it's uh, it contains it's related to the passage where Paul suggests to deliver such a one up to Satan, and it's been a subject to misinterpretation over the years. The distortion we've observed begins with the creating of a false dichotomy of us versus them. So, during my upbringing as a Jehovah Witness, the us referred to the devoted followers of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, while the them encompassed everyone outside this circle. A sense of safety was cultivated by associating only with fellow little flock members. Remarkably, this technique of dividing and controlling has been employed by cults in numerous churches. I recall encountering the phrase such as safety in the cluster within different churches, church circles, and admittedly, I've used this expression myself in the past. Although this concept has a kernel of truth, Paul's intention in this passage diverges from its misuse. Paul does not advocate avoiding interaction meals or conversations with morally questionable or sinful individuals. And the context of this passage clarifies his stance on this. He says not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So, let's be clear and and define these terms according to the New Testament. He begins with sexual immoral. So sexual immorality defined by the New Testament teachings refers to any behavior or activity that deviates from the standard of sexual conduct established by God and taught through Jesus Christ and the Apostles. The New Testament emphasizes a high moral standard for sexual behavior advocating purity, fidelity, and respect within intimate relationships. Several passages highlight the concept of sexual immorality and provide insights into what behaviors fall under this category and we're going to elucidate or elaborate on this a little bit because of how prevalent this is in our society today. So let's begin with the term fornication. Fornication encompasses sexual relations outside the bounds of marriage, including premarital sex. It, It is highlighted as a violation of the sanctity of marriage, the marriage covenant, and is discouraged in various New Testaments uh, passages such as in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 and Galatians 5, 19-21. Moving on to adultery. Adultery um, involves engaging uh, in sexual relationships with someone other than one's spouse while being married. 
Jesus explicitly condemns adultery in this in his teachings, emphasizing the importance of marital faithfulness, and you can find that in Matthew 5, 27, 28, and Matthew 19, 9. Moving down to homosexuality. The New Testament addresses same sex sexual activity, describing it as contrary to God's design for human relationships. That can be found in Romans chapter 1, uh, 26 and 27, uh, also in 1 Corinthians um, 6, chapter 6, 9 to 10. So they refer to same-sex uh, acts in a list of behaviors that deviate from God's intention. Lust. Jesus teaches that harboring lustful thoughts and desires, even without acting upon them, is a form of sexual impurity, or immorality rather. He emphasizes the importance of controlling one's thoughts and desires to maintain the purity of heart. And that can be found again in Matthew chapter 5, 27, 28. And then pornography. Okay, so while the New Testament does not explicitly mention modern forms of pornography, the principles of purity and avoiding lustful thoughts align with the condemnation of explicit and degrading sexual content. Then there's prostitution. The New Testament engages discourages rather engaging in prostitution emphasizing the value and honoring of one's body as a temple of the holy spirit and treating others with dignity and that can be found in first corinthians six fifteen to 20 and then there's sexual exploitation so the new testament promotes mutual consent and respect within sexual relationships sexual exploitation or coercion coercion goes against these principles rather and can be considered sexually immoral as well. So that falls, he's, Paul says, um, he says, don't hang around with the sexually immoral, and all of those things would fall into that category. Moving on down, he says, or the covetous. So uh, covetousness is elucidated by the teachings of the New Testament and refers to an excessive and inappropriate desire for material possessions, status, or wealth that goes beyond uh, reasonable or lawful bounds. The New Testament emphasizes the importance of contentment, gratitude, and focusing on spiritual values rather than being consumed by an insatiable longing for worldly goods. Then there's idolater. So, as, as illuminated by the New Testament teachings, this refers to a person who worships or venerates false gods or objects of devotion, thereby diverting their allegiance and devotions away from the one true God. The New Testament underscores the importance of wholehearted devotion to God, and warns against the spiritual dangers of idolatry. Then there is a, a reviler. So it's not a term we use today, but a reviler in the New Testament teachings refers to individuals who engage in verbal abuse, slander, or malicious speech towards others. The New Testament emphasizes the importance of using words to edify, encourage, and build one another up rather than using them to harm or tear down. And then there's the drunkard. In the New Testament, a drunkard refers to an individual who, habit who habitually engages in the excessive consumption of alcohol to the point of intoxication, leading to impaired judgment, behavior, and self-control. The New Testament emphasizes the importance of temperance, self-discipline, and avoiding the harmful effects of, of excessive drinking. And then there is lastly, the extortioner. An extortion refers to a person who unjustly uses deceit, manipulation, or coercion to acquire money, goods, or possessions from other people. And the New Te Testament emphasizes the principles of honesty, integrity, and treating others with fairness and respect. 
So in this text, in this situation, we have a man engaged in an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother. This behavior was considered repugnant even by the standards of Paul's time. The, the individual identified as a member of the Corinthian fellowship, as a professing believer or a Christian. And Paul's directive is aimed at those within the Christian community who persist in unrepentant wrongdoing. He says, Yet certainly I did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters since you have to get out of the world. Paul's emphasizing that this guideline does not apply to non-believers. The passage does not endorse isolating ourselves from morally differing individuals in the secular realm. Seeing believers becoming <clears throat> perturbed when non-believers do not adhere to biblical principles is somewhat amusing. It's crucial to recognize that the biblical texts are intended for believers, not for those who, who do not share the faith. Imperatives outlined in the New Testament pertain to Christians and not to non-Christians. The Bible offers no mandate for Christians to impose their values on unbelievers. The sole imperative for Christians according, uh, uh, concerning morality rather, is to maintain an exemplary lifestyle in other scriptural passages, we are advised to avoid tarnishing a reputation and to counter misconceptions with love and virtuous actions. In a world often divided by labels, from us versus them to faithful versus worldly, the, the profound wisdom of Paul's words gleams through the fog of misinterpretation, echoing across the corridors of time. His call to deliver such a one to Satan has been miscon misconstrued into a battle cry against those who differ rather than a plea for accountability within the family of believers. Through personal experience as a former Jehovah's Witness, I've witnessed the ominous dance of safety in the cluster, a dance not exclusive to cults but taken up by even well-intentioned churches. The boundaries drawn between the virtuous and the sinful, the sanctified and the secular often blur the compassionate lines Paul intended to be echoed, or etched rather, in this understanding. Paul's voice channeled through the ages reclaims its resonance, challenges us to embrace our fellow humans without the weight of misguided righteousness. His words do not erect walls against those who stand apart, nor do they endorse uh, self-righteous isolation. Instead, Paul's words, in essence, beckons believers to engage with a world vibrant in its diversity, reminding us that the teachings of faith are not mandates to brandish against outsiders, but a mirror to reflect our own conduct. And in an era where convictions often crumble in the face of skepticism, let us not wield scriptures as a weapon, but wield ourselves as living testimonies, standing firm in our convictions while embracing others with the very love that defines our faith.